I'm curious, when I say the word prayer, what do you think of? Conversation with God. What are some what do you think of when I say the word prayer? What comes to mind? Well, I don't do enough of that. Right? Okay, maybe a little bit of uh yeah, I should do more of that. Get on my knees. Uh, okay. Do you how many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you have ever thought to yourself, man, if I could hit the Powerball or Lotto or if you don't do that, if I could just have an uncle that I had never met leave me a huge inheritance, you know, I could do so much good. You know, in your mind, you thought I could pay off debt, I could be generous, I could help out extended family. Have you, you know, you've thought these things. I see, all right, yes, you have, okay? Did you know, did you know that most millionaires in America don't want to be billionaires? Did you know that? You're like, well, duh, Max, it's because they're millionaires. They're already rich. doesn't matter. No, 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 no. It, it's actually because they've experienced something that you and I haven't. Um, money, I don't know if you know this, money has a tendency to corrupt relationships. Money has a, and, and lots of money, lots of money can ruin your family life. It's why Bill and Melinda Gates have chosen to give away most of their money. It's why Warren Buffett has chosen to give away most of his money and not leave it to their children. I got to see a version of this growing up uh, in my extended family. And as a young man, because my step-grandfather, a man I called Grandpa John, was a millionaire. Grandpa John was a millionaire. And he had three kids from a previous marriage, uh, David, John Jr., and Teresa. And the whole time I was growing up, I always knew them as adults, okay? I have very strong memories of Grandpa John talking about his kids. And I remember the frustration that he had. On the one hand, he was frustrated. They lack drive. They don't understand the value of hard work. Anytime they call me, the only reason they're calling me is because they want some money. They want me to help them buy a car. They want me to help them with their house payment. They want this. They want that. On the other hand, just like any father, he loved them. And so there was that odd mix. The summer that I lived with Grandpa John and Nana, uh, I remember heated conversations that they had about John's kids. And he would express this frustration. Uh, You know, why don't they want to just, you know, call me for me? Why don't, you know, and he would get mad. He was a big man. He was a Greek That was his ethnic background, and so when he got mad, the whole world, the whole block, the whole city of Las Vegas knew John Bogatis was angry, okay? You couldn't miss it. And Brent and I, my brother and I, would be like, hide like Beaker, me, 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 you know, hide, hide behind furniture, you know, fear of the wrath of Grandpa John. Do you know that when he died, he left each of his kids a paltry thousand dollars? Right. Uh, Because in his mind, in his mind, they wouldn't love him for who he was or understand his experience, his background, who he was as a person. In his mind, they just wanted a piece of what he had, his money, his, you know. And so that was kind of his in-your-face thing. 
How many of you think, just based on what I've told you, that maybe John's kids missed something important? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Today, I want to talk to you about prayer, and I believe my grandpa John and his kids can actually help you understand something very important about prayer. Prayer isn't about what, it's about who. And so much in Christian circles and and in churches, we focus on what is prayer? Prayer is this. You need to pray these things and say these things. You need to do it this way. No, no, no. Don't do it this way. Do it that way. And, and we focus on what instead of who, and we miss the forest for the trees. Why is it so hard for us Americans to pray when life is going well, when the bills are paid, when on the whole our relationships are okay, when our job is secure, and yet why is it so easy to pray when our life is falling apart, when the doctor says, yes, it's cancerous, or there's a key relationship and it's absolutely broken, and we look at it and we think there's no way this is going to be restored, and we will cry out to God all day long and not even bat an eye, right? God, God, I need you, God, I've got to pay the mortgage in three days, God, you know, and it's totally natural to do that. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? I believe it's because in our nature, in our natural state, we approach God the way Grandpa John's kids approached him. We approach God to get things. And on the, on the one hand, that's not bad. There's nothing wrong with that. But our natural tendency is to interface with God. God, give me money. God, help me with this, these relationships. God, help me help people to like me. God, advance me at work. God, protect me from this stupid decision I made. God, rescue me. And so... That's kind of how we interface with God. But here's the thing. When we turn to Jesus, when we turn to Jesus and we begin to grasp what God has done for us and our hope in life is in him and our confidence in him is in him, we actually begin to want to know this God a little bit better. We actually begin to want to know, who is this God that did these amazing things, that died on a cross for us? i got to know. And we begin to love him for who he is and not necessarily for what he can do for us. I have a c- couple of quotes from John Calvin that I want to share with you. And, and I'll say this. So for anybody that went to at one of the Asbury's, I've read every theologian you can read. Harnack, Schnockenberg, you know, Bart, I've read Luther, Calvin, Augustine, I've read them all. John Calvin was the only person to write a theological work that brought me to tears. He was the only person to write something that when I read it, I actually grew closer to God and I saw God in a way that made me go, wow. And it was his Institutes of the Christian Religion. So I have a couple of quotes, and if they'll put the first one up here, I want to share these with you, and I'll explain what they mean because it's archaic language. He says, he says, first of all, in the Institutes, he says, For the word of God is not received by faith if it flits about in the top of the brain, but when it takes root in the depth of the heart. The heart's distrust is greater than the mind's blindness. It's harder for the heart to be furnished with assurance of God's love than for the mind to be endowed with the thought. What he's saying is, you can go to church and hear that God loves you, and you go, yeah, yeah, I get it. You can go to church and you can hear people talk about how God is for you and with you, and and you go, yeah, yeah, I I understand that. And it flits about in your brain. What What he's saying is it's so much harder 
for you to feel it and own it in the core of your being. It's so much harder in your heart to know with confidence that your relationship with him is absolutely secure and that his love for you is passionate and unwavering. He's saying something really important. He also says, and they'll put the next one up, serving knowledge of, saving knowledge of God means you long to know him and serve him. That kind of knowledge loves and reveres God as Father. It worships and adores him as Lord. Even if there were no hell, it would still shudder at offending him alone. In other words, when you begin to grasp who God is, when you begin to grasp what he's done and the kind of God that he is, all of a sudden, it's like a parent that has loved you well. You will avoid doing things that displease them just because you don't want to displease them. And it has nothing to do with fear of punishment. So what he's saying in this passage is, even if you took away hell, even if you took away the fear of punishment, people who know God well, in their heart, they're motivated. They want to please him. They want to hear from God. Good job. Right? So are, are you kind of, is this starting to get a little traction? So how do we need to see God? We need to see God as a good father who loves you passionately. And when you know who, it will change how you pray. If you brought a Bible, I want you to open it to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, okay? Now, I need to make a caveat about something that we, uh, a phrase that we use as Americans. We will say, hey, we're all God's children. And what people are meaning by that is mostly true, but it's not exactly what the Bible teaches. Okay, so what the Bible teaches is we're all God's descendants. In other words, all of us, because we're human beings, men and women made in the image of God, we all go back to the original people that God made and endowed with his image. We're all God's descendants. But for people who have been born again, for people who have put their full confidence in Jesus, they become adopted sons and daughters, beloved sons and daughters, part of God's family in a way that just descendants aren't. And, and we know this in our own relationships because I know a guy, and this is what he says of his biological dad. Yeah, he's not my father. He was never a father to me. He abandoned my mom and I when I was six years old. He hasn't had anything to do with me. My stepdad, Steve, that's my father. Steve's got my back. Steve loves me, Okay. So we can get this idea, and we, and we have it in our own relationships, that you can be you know, biologically descended from somebody but have a real family relationship maybe with a step-parent. And so that's important to keep in mind as we go through this passage from Galatians. So Galatians is a letter that Paul is writing to a group of Christians who were inspired by what Jesus Christ had done, and they were like, this is amazing, and they decided that, yes, Jesus, and if you could also do all these really cool rules, Jesus plus all these rules, you will make God happy. And Paul is writing them and basically saying, what? What Jesus plus what? All these rules? Are you guys nuts? And so that's part of the argument he's making in this book. So Galatians chapter 4, he says this. He says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than the slaves until they grow up. 
even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. So in the Roman culture of the day, as a, as a, as a Roman father, you would set a date for your son to become a man. Maybe uh, it was when he turned 12. Maybe it was when he turned 15. It would vary. But the father would say, yep, you're ready. You're a man. And they would have this ceremony, and you would be clothed in an adult toga. And at that moment, you had the right of inheritance. So if your father died at that point, you would get everything. Uh, You had all the rights and privileges of being a son and all the legal standing that came with it. But prior to getting your adult toga, if your dad died, there weren't rights of survivorship. You got nothing. You were no better off than slaves in the household. And so that's part of the background of what Paul is arguing here. And he's saying, look, look, you were at a point where you had absolutely nothing. All right? And he continues in verses 3 and following. And this is what he says. That's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. So before Christ came, we were in bondage. That's the language he uses. We were slaves. And and we had no rights, no privileges. We didn't have anything that we could bring to the table and Jesus was born of a woman into that system, that system that people would try to obey and do all these things to make God happy. And none of it worked, okay? And the kicker is in the next couple of verses, verses 5 to 7. Paul says this, God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you're his child, God has made you an heir. There's a lot of important things going on in these three verses. On the one hand, Paul is saying, Jesus, by coming, by dying, purchased freedom for us. So we were slaves to sin. We were bent on rebelling against God, but Jesus freed us. His actions has the ability, has the capacity to free us from that. But it's more than that because we are his children. So there's something that's happened when you're born again, when you've put your trust in Jesus, you become an adopted child with all the rights and privileges. And it's not just that. God sends his spirit in you, and there's this part of you that's able to cry, and in in the word, it's Abba. It's the word that little kids would use of their fathers. A kid living down the street could not call that man Abba. Only his son or daughter could call him Abba. And ladies, this language here, this has nothing to do with being a boy as opposed to being a girl. It has to do with your standing before God. So it has, this has nothing to do with being gender, although that language is in there. Paul is saying something critically important about you and I and our standing with God. We've been adopted into God's family, and God loves us as if we had done everything Jesus had done. 
That's a powerful, powerful statement. It's why we can cry, Abba. It's why we can cry, Father. And the kicker is at the end. And since you are his child, God has made you his, what is that? Heir. One of the more important things that the Bible tells us is that to be an heir, at the end, everything God has, you get. At the end, everything God has, you get. Life, love, purpose, resurrected life that doesn't end. I could go on and on. This is really, really important. So when it comes to prayer, it's not so much about what, it's who. Like my grandpa John, you have a heavenly father who wants you to know him and love him for who he is. Is it okay to ask for things? Absolutely. We see it in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. But God wants us to enjoy him for who he is more than just what he can do for us. There's a couple of ways to flesh this out and a couple of ways that you can do this. One is on on as regular basis as you can do, Give God some unrushed time. Just give him time. Some of you may do that as you garden because you need to work with your hands, okay? Maybe you need to go outside. Maybe you need to go in a room by yourself. Maybe you need to be with people. Everybody's personality is different, okay? But you need to give God unrushed time. And the best way I know to describe this is we know this in our marriage relationships. So if the only time that I saw Jenny was in the car on the way somewhere, if the only time I gave Jenny was when I was doing something else, Max, can I talk to you? Absolutely, Jen. I'm just going to follow up on a few emails here. What do you need, hon? Right? <laughs> Eventually, Jenny's going to go, um, hello? <laughs> hello, is this thing on? Okay. Unrushed time where you're fully present with God. That's one key ingredient. Take time to reflect on who he is and just be with God. I know it sounds odd, but I'm just telling you. The second thing, which is really important, and this is why it's important to do Bible intake. The more you read this, the more you study this, the more you listen to it, the more you have this in you, the more clear a picture you get of God. Because this is basically a key thing God has, you know, the clearest picture we have of God is in the person of Jesus Christ. And then the second clearest thing is what we get from the Holy Scriptures. And so when you're studying this, when you're taking this in, your view of God, your understanding of God, your grasping of God grows. And you begin to admire him for who he is. You begin to see him with love and respect rather than, oh, you know, fear or or anger, or hurt. See, on the cross, on the cross, Jesus made a statement. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus lost his relationship with God so that we could have a relationship with God as Father. Only in and through Jesus can you get what you need. I want to say that to you today. And it's, we see it in Psalm 27, verse 10. This is what it says. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. 
if your mom or your dad let you down, God won't. Hear me on this. If your dad or your mom let you down, God won't. God is better. God's love burns with a passion that will not run out. He made you. And he loves you because he made you. (laughs) Okay? As an heir, you and I get it all anyway. So uh, here's one of the ways it plays out in my life. When when I'm short on cash, when there's a financial need, da-da-da-da-da. I, I go, even if this need doesn't get met, and I haven't had very many of those happen in my life, but at the end, I get it all anyway. At the end, I get it all anyway. I, there's a confidence that comes inside of you, and you're able to just, you know, you're able to trust. If you can get a clear picture of who God is, it will change how you pray. And here's the best way I know to explain this. Some of you have crappy bosses. I'm just telling the truth, okay? Some of you have crappy bosses. I sit with you. I listen to your work situations. Let me just tell you, I agree with you 100%. They're jerks, (laughs) okay? Some of you needed to say amen right there, okay? (laughs) So you have these crappy bosses. So you go in. You need a day off to take your sick kid somewhere, and you're scared to death to ask for the time off because they're going to mess up your shifts. They're going to stick it to you because you're not being faithful in that one moment. Or you need a little bit more money, and you heard that other people got a raise, and, but you're scared to go in and ask because your boss is a jerk. So many people, their understanding of God has been warped, and so that's how their relationship with God plays out. Because they, they think God's holding out on them. They, they're not sure they can trust him. But when you see God with clarity, it's like having a boss who cares. Having a boss who is absolutely amazing. When you need time off, your boss is like, sure, it's, I, I get it. You got to take your kid into the doctor? No problem. You go in and ask for a raise and they're like, you know what? Yes, you were, you know, even if they don't say yes at the moment, right? And they say, well, I can't at the moment. But you, you have that open door and you have that understanding Isn't it great when you have a good boss? Isn't it horrible when you have a bad boss? It's like that with God. So I want to challenge you this morning to maybe let who flavor how you talk to God because it can really be a game changer, an absolute game changer for you.